welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 114. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. I applaud you for plowing your way through the drifts of snow in this post-start of spring snowstorm that uh, many of us have experienced. We got uh, nine plus inches of snow where I live most of which was deposited in the form of ice boulders by the city plow at the end of my driveway. Thanks for that, guys. So I've been out climbing Mount Icy all morning, and now I'm here doing a podcast. So if I nod off during the show, you'll know why. What's going on in the world, guys? Oh, let's check in with our buddy Mad Mike and see if the world is yet flat. If it is, I'm thinking the plows can just push the snow right off the edge and uh, not have to pile it up, you know, in people's yards and stuff. So that's handy. All right, let's check in. As you know, for weeks now, I've been talking about Mad Mike Hughes, the limo driver in California who is on a quest to build his own rocket that will launch him into the sky, way up there high, up there, uh, with his camera, and he's going to take pictures that prove that science and the media have been lying to us for centuries. And in fact, the Earth is flat. Why? I don't know. But he's doing it, or claiming he's going to do it. The launch keeps getting delayed uh, for various technical reasons. And uh, let's check in. He was supposed to do a launch on the 24th of March. Let's find out. And as I'm recording this, today is... Oh, I don't know. What is today? Today's the 25th of March, I guess. So the world didn't feel any different when I got up this morning. So... As I stall for time while I try to find Mad Mike's Facebook page. Oh, look at this. On March 23rd, well, March 23rd, he posted an announcement. March 24th, the Chronicles of Mad Mike Hughes, one man, which is what Noise TV was calling this. His March 24th post is a reposting of Noise TV's post labeled Mad Mike Hughes Did It. And there's a little video there showing Rocket blasting off. 10, 9, 8, 7, you know numbers. I'm just waiting for the countdown to finish. I'm actually going to play the audio for the video because I'm pretty sure Noise TV could get upset if I play their video. The video just shows the rocket going up into the sky. Uh, he posted a link to an interview with uh, himself, also on March 24th. Ten hours ago, as I record this, he posted... He, he, Mad Mike wrote a post that says, 1,875 feet altitude... Hard landing was sheared off the nose cone. That's a bummer. The first comment on that post is, To prove anything, he would have to climb above 40,000 feet. No evidence as of yet of him even getting in the rocket. No photo or video evidence as of yet taken from the rocket. To prove anything, he would have had to post immediately after landing. A live stream would have been better to refute any claims tampering. The only thing he can claim is, I saw the Earth is flat, which at a height of under 2,000 feet would still appear flat anyway. This commenter busted out some math. For an observer on the ground with eye level at height of 5 feet 7, the horizon is at a distance of 2.9 miles. For an observer standing on a hill or tower 100 feet in height, the horizon is at a distance of 12.2 miles. How do you morons use the same equation to measure the horizon? This only works on a rounded earth, you idiots. And then there's a big whole chart with a bunch of math in it. Mad Mike then posted a link to Noise TV's full launch video. Okay, 
like it's going down. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Mike, he's right there. In that whole video, you literally can't see anything except the spot where the rocket used to be, apparently. The video ends with a bunch of people hunched over Mike. I guess that's Mike, who's laying on the ground. They're all kind of staring at him. I guess that's supposed to be because of the hard landing, maybe? An hour ago, as I record this, Mike posted a, a post that says, I cut all ties with Noise TV last week. And they had been told not to use the, thus type of language or reporting. Whatever that means. I allowed them to film because I opened it up to everyone. Sorry for the botched job Noise did. And that's it. Uh, that's the last thing he posted. So, I don't know what's going on there. You guys can go to Facebook and watch the videos. Go to Noise TV. I kind of flipped through them there as we were talking. Doesn't look like anybody has proven anything. No post like, I waved at the dragon while I was up there that lives at the edge of the earth. I guess you guys have to go to work, like always. Just, you know, be safe when you're driving that you don't drive off the edge. Alright, well, I guess if we see any more Mike Hughes posts, we'll discuss them in upcoming episodes. What else is going on, guys? The much maligned, or the much meh de creation coming out from Atari, we guess, at some indefinite point, made news recently because now instead of calling it Atari Box, which is a dumb name, I think we can all agree, they're going to call it Atari VCS, which maybe is not a dumb name, as proven by the fact that they already called their Atari Atari VCS 30 years ago. Uh, people are really mad about this because... This is not an Atari VCS. An Atari VCS is the thing I'm looking at right now that I played on as a kid 35 years ago. Why they're doing this, I don't know. They are. The Atari Box, Atari VCS thing has been kind of interesting because either people who are in, into these old games are really, really mad about this thing that they haven't actually seen yet, or they're just kind of like, meh, whatever. Let's wait till it comes out and see what it is. Nobody, as far as I can tell, is really excited about this. Although, potentially, it could be a really cool thing. Potentially. I really don't know, because, like everybody else, I haven't seen it yet. It sounds like it's going to be kind of pricey. 250 or 300 bucks. I may be pulling that number out of my butt. I don't know. But I think that's what I've heard. I'm probably not going to pony up the money for it. I like the uh, VCS that I have. Uh, I like the cartridges. That's part of the fun of Atari. If, you know, that thing comes out and it really sounds like it has a lot of functionality and the price comes down a little bit, maybe I would pick one up. But, uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to wait and see when it's actually out and what all the bells and whistles are. What else? Got a little bit of feedback. Ferg commented on last week's episode, Video Pinball. He commented, and I had forgotten this, but he has praised Video pin Pinball often on his show. Um, it's He posted on Facebook that it's one of his favorites. So... Ferg, I am retroactively dedicating last week's episode to you, buddy. Pinball is fun. I have a lot of... Uh, the, uh, regular pinball, like real pinball, is fun. I think I was sort of lukewarm on video pinball, the game, the video game last week. I don't hate it. It's fun. It's kind of fun to play once in a while. But real pinball, pinball is an unusually and probably undeservedly good time for what it is, right? You're just whacking a little uh, ball bearing around with these little plastic flipper things. But it is a good time. When you find a pinball machine somewhere, you always want to play it. So, uh, for I'm glad you liked the episode. Um, I, I hope everybody else liked it too. What else? I got a shout-out from Jim Fullerton, at Yinksy, on Twitter. He was listening to actually to a little bit older episode. I forget now, offhand, what... Oh, it's right here. Episode 110. 
deadly duck. Uh, if you remember, if you've heard that episode, as they occasionally do, my kids showed up while I was recording, and sort of as at Yingxi points out, or, or calls it pod bombs, the uh, episode. And then Henry just kind of hung around and played deadly duck in the background as I was doing the episode. Jim's comment was, and Henry just dive-bombed the podcast. Or is it a pod bomb, which is a term I really like, and I'm going to start using that now. I said something in response, like, uh, that's kind of his specialty. He's done it before. He thought Jim did. That was a fantastic thing. And Jim notes that Henry basically steals the show every time he's on, which he does. He is a fun co-host to have on occasion, and I am sure you will hear more of him in upcoming episodes. So thanks for the comment. I will, uh, Jim, I will tell Henry that he's got a fan out there, and uh, I'm sure he will not let that go to his head at all, as, uh, as eight-year-old boys are, are inclined to do. All right. Well, that's all the news I have for this week. So let's get on to this week's... Oh, I almost forgot the big item today. If you're listening to this episode when it comes out, it's Easter Sunday. Happy Easter, everybody, if you're into that sort of thing. Or if you're into chocolate bunnies, happy chocolate bunny day. Try not to get, you know, melted bunny ears on uh, whatever pod listening device you're using at the moment. I know it's probably illogical because you're getting less chocolate, but I actually prefer the chocolate bunnies, the hollow chocolate bunnies, to the solid ones because you can bite the ears off and little pieces sometimes fall down inside the hollow, the hollowed out carcass of the chocolate bunny, which amuses me if I go to that dark place in my mind. So I hope to be enjoying, as you're listening to this, I hope to be somewhere enjoying a hollow chocolate bunny. May you find all your Easter eggs before next Easter, because they're going to start to stink if you don't. All right, let's get on with things. This week's game is Sea Hunt from Frogo. 1987. I don't think we've done a Frogo game on the show before. I'm going to be honest here. I'm not even sure there are any other Frogo Atari games. And uh, after we talked about this one, we may understand why that is. So, Frogo, manual, looks kind of cool. It's got the name of the game on the front, of course. Sea Hunt, a menacing-looking shark seemingly staring at you from the cover of the manual and a, a big old treasure chest with gold doubloons spilling out below it. We're told that Sea Hunt is a full-color action game for one player, designed to be played in the Atari uh, video computer system 2600 and 7800. You're diving for treasure in perilous waters infested with man-eating fish and vicious sea monsters. You must be careful to choose just the right moment to dive into the water because you cannot defend yourself while you are diving, which is one of many problems I have with this game, but we'll get to that. As the game begins, you have four divers, but can only control one at a time. Each diver receives 60 seconds worth of oxygen for every dive he makes. Your only defense against the dangerous man-eating fish is a harpoon gun, so use it well, for those fish are devious. You must harpoon all the fish in the water and enter the sunken Spanish galleon before another fish appears. Once inside the galleon, you will be confronted by three vicious sea monsters, who jealously guard the galleon's three treasure chests. Your harpoon gun cannot help you now because the sea monsters are invincible. You must swim quickly to avoid them. Keep your wits about you as you dodge these clever monsters because they can trick you by passing right through the walls of the ship. But you can escape them by entering one of the ship's many narrow passageways. To retrieve the treasure chest filled with gold doubloons and valuable pieces of eight, you must reach the treasure and touch it. But watch your oxygen level. When the level is low, you must return to your boat for more oxygen or drown. And the way back to your boat is just as dangerous as the journey down because more man-eating fish 
await you in the waters between their boat and the sunken treasure ship. Difficulty switches. A is slow and B is fast in this one. When you hit reset, uh, the music stops. The game begins immediately. You begin with four divers and you control one at a time. We said that already. When the water is clear beneath the boat, push the red button and your diver will jump into the water. You must reach a certain depth before you can control his movement, again, with the joystick. Be careful, those mad-eating fish are fast and will track, your, will track your diver before you can harpoon them. Once you hit the correct water level, which appears to be about halfway down, you can push the red button to activate the harpoon. Your diver must harpoon all the fish before he can enter the sunken ship. But you must enter the ship quickly before more fish appear to try to attack you. When you use your harpoon, you cannot move until the harpoon returns. You only have 60 seconds worth of oxygen on each dive, so watch your oxygen supply and uh, return to the ship, return to the boat when the level gets low. You can re-enter the boat through the bottom center panel. The number of divers remaining rem appears at the bottom left corner of the screen. The score appears in the middle of the screen at the bottom while your diver is in the water. The score disappears. In its place, you see 60 seconds of oxygen supply countdown. At level 2, when your diver enters the treasure ship, the screen will change. To retrieve the three treasure chests, all your diver needs to do is touch them. But beware, three vicious sea monsters guard the treasure chests and will attack when you least expect it. And when you re-enter level 1 to return to the boat for oxygen, you'll be attacked once again by the man-eating fish. The harpoon is useless against the sea monsters. You have to use your wits and move quickly. The sea monsters can go through the walls of the ship while your diver cannot. But you can escape the sea monsters by centering the narrow passages by entering the narrow passages in the ship. To enter these passages, you must push the red button and move the joystick at the same time. Be careful not to let your diver touch the sticky walls of the treasure ship. Ew. They act like flypaper and can hold him prisoner in a watery grave. If he gets stuck, move the joystick very hard to release him. And remember to watch your oxygen supply. The game continues until you have lost all your divers. You get 500 points for harpooning a fish, 500 points for retrieving a treasure chest, uh, the first one. When you retrieve two of them during the same dive, you get 1,500 points. When you retrieve three treasure chests during the same dive, you get 11,500 points. Whenever you re-enter your boat after harpooning the fish or capturing the treasure chest, your score increases. There are four game variations. Game one, the fish and sea monsters move at normal speed. Game two, fish move at high speed, sea monsters move at normal speed. Game 3, fish still move at normal speed, sea monsters move at high speed. And in game 4, both fish and sea monsters move at high speed. Want to be the first to know when our next new Frago video game becomes available? No, not really. Just send us a card with your name and mailing address so we can put you on our special customer mailing list. Also watch for new Frago video games wherever you buy game cartridges. Yeah, I'll run right out and do that, Frago. Alright, and that's how you play Sea Hunt. The video game critic at videogamecritic.com notes that Frogo has long been the whipping boy of Atari 2600 critics, probably because most of the releases are garbage. Sea Hunt is also crap, but at least as challenging as hell. They give a little a recap of what uh, you do in the game. With some practice, you'll be able to enter the wreck. This takes you to a separate screen with blocky crabs and three treasure items. Sea Hunt looks good on paper, but on the screen it's a mess. The blocky graphics are embarrassing and stiff control makes it frustratingly hard to maneuver. Although there appears to be escape tunnels on each side of the screen, they don't work at all. They probably would have been a good idea. Sea Hunt's audio is deplorable. The tune that plays after each game sounds like a bad nursery rhyme. And there's a noticeable lack of sound effects, like when you jump in the water. Yeah, the music. In case I forget to mention it later. 
that tune is really familiar. It does kind of sound like a nursery rhyme. I'm not sure if it is, but I can't place what the tune is. If after you listen to this episode, you can tell me what that tune is, please email me, ataribytes2016 at gmail.com, or uh, hit me up on social media to tell me what that music is, because it's really familiar. Sea Hunt, the video game critic, says, had potential, but its execution is fishy, to say the least. Ah. Note the game was originally released by Panda as Scuba Diver in 1983. This video game is not the only piece of popular culture to bear the name Sea Hunt. Oh no. There was also the 1958 TV action-adventure show Sea Hunt that aired in syndication from 58 to 61 and was popular in syndication for decades afterward. Eh, I'm not sure about that. The series ran for four seasons with 155 episodes. It starred legendary Lloyd Bridges. He of airplane fame. Okay, he was really, really famous for a lot of things before that, but people my age pretty much only remember him from Airplane. Picked the wrong week to quick sniff and glue. Man, I like that movie. It's got a lot of problems as far as, you know, types of jokes that you wouldn't tell now. But it's pretty funny. I'm gonna go watch Airplane now. I'll be right back. Man, that was awesome. All right, let's get on with the show. So Sea Hunt, the TV show. Lloyd Bridges played a United States Navy frogman, Navy, uh, Mike Nelson. Sorry, former United States Navy frogman, Mike Nelson. The show was produced by the legendary Ivan Tors. I don't know if he's legendary or not, but if he, he apparently does have a hyperlink on Wikipedia for his own page. So I'm guessing he was somewhat famous. It was a, a single camera show, ran for 30 minutes per episode, in black and white. Of course, this was the 50s. It was popular with viewers and was a hit throughout its four-season run. became one of the best-remembered and most-watched syndicated series in the U.S. It came in number one uh, during its first nine months on, on the air. attracted half of the viewing audience in 50 major cities. Now remember, this was in the 1950s. You had, like, one channel. Okay, I guess you probably had the three main networks, but that was about it. And that's what everybody watched. Despite solid ratings, it was canceled in 61 due to the dwindling first-run syndication market. The series ran for a total of 155 episodes, which I mentioned earlier. Another story has it that Lloyd Bridges was becoming disenchanted with the storylines. There was a revival series starring Ron Ely and Kimber Sissons in syndication in 1987, but it was canceled after only one season. So there you go. Galleons, of which some were Spanish, were large multi-decked sailing ships used as armed cargo carriers primarily by European states from the 16th to 18th centuries during the Age of Sail, I guess that's a thing, and were the principal fleet units drafted for use as warships until the Anglo-Dutch Wars of the mid-1600s. They generally carried three or more masts with a Latin fore and aft rig, you ship nerds will know what that means, on the rear masts were carval belt built with a prominent squared-off raised stern and used square-rigged sail plans on their foremast and main masts. I don't know what any of that means. I have a vague idea what a mast is, but on that, beyond that, I don't know what that means. 
They were the mainstay of maritime commerce into the early 19th century and were often drafted into use as auxiliary naval war vessels. They were the mainstay of contending fleets throughout most of the 150 years of the Age of Exploration before the Anglo-Dutch Wars began. The purpose-built ship-rigged warships that thereafter dominated war at sea during the remainder of the Age of Sail. The doubloon, taken from the Spanish word doublon, meaning double, was a two-escudo, or 32-real gold coin, weighing 6.867 grams in 1537 and 6,766 grams from 1728. Of 0.92 fine gold, 22-karat gold, they were minted in Spain, Mexico, Peru, and Nueva Granada. The term was first used to describe the gold excelente, either because of its value of two decats or because of the double portrait of Ferdinand and Isabella. In the New World, Spanish gold coins were minted in 1, 2, 4, and 8 escudo denominations. The 2 escudo piece was called a pistole. The large 8 escudo coin was called a quadruple pistole, or at first a double doubloon. English colonists would come to call it the Spanish doubloon. After the War of 1812, doubloons were valued in Nova Scotia at the rate of 4 pounds and became the dominant coin there. Doubloons marked 2S are equivalent to $4 in U.S. gold coins and were traded in that manner. Small one-half escudo coins, similar to a U.S. dollar gold piece, have no value marked on them, but were worth a Spanish milled a dollar in trade. A piece of eight is a silver coin of approximately 38 millimeter diameter worth eight Spanish reals that was minted in the Spanish Empire after 1598. Its purpose was to correspond to the German thaler. The Spanish dollar was widely used by many countries as the first international world currency, because of its uniformity in standard and milling characteristics. Some countries countersigned the Spanish dollar so it could be used as their local currency. It was the coin upon which the original United States dollar was based. It remained legal tender in the United States until the Coinage Act of 1857. Alright, with that background, after the break, we will see if we can hunt in the sea with a sea hunt. I really should have thought that transition out a little bit more. I am so excited. It's my first trip to this tropical island. I saved all my money to go on this trip and, and now I've been certified as a diver and I'm going on my first dive and it's going to be great. We're going to see sunken treasure. Ooh, probably some touristy thing that they bury down there uh, in the so-called Spanish Galleon. Uh, all right, I'm excited. The instructor's telling us to uh, put in our scuba thingy. Uh, I'm still new at the terminology. And here we go. We're going to dive into the water, and oh my god, what's that? Ah! Chomp, 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 chomp. I hate scuba diving, but I won't hate it for long. Chomp, chomp. Okay, so right off the bat, I gotta say that Sea Hunt looks really good. You got the diver in the boat. Getting ready to dive, you got the uh, sharks and uh, other assorted water life swimming back and forth. You got the Spanish Galleon, which, uh, okay, the Spanish Galleon looks kind of crappy. But, and you're told that's what it is, so you know th that's what it is. Actually, kind of looks like it has a happy face. Uh, two eyes and nose and a mouth. Now I look at it, and his two little arms raised up nearly. Like, yeah! I'm a Spanish Galleon! 
and uh, some little sea life walking across the uh, bottom. Uh, some plants sort of moving with the movement of the water. So it looks really good. And then you actually have to start playing it. So let's do that. So my little scuba guy moves back and forth. Which side should I go down? Which side will I live the longest once I jump into the water? Um, let's see. Waiting, waiting. Here we go. I got eaten. I got one of the uh, sea creatures but with my harpoon, but uh, then the big guy came down and ate me. I don't... Man, I got eaten. I, I don't like this whole, you can't move your guy until you're halfway down into the water. Because by then, you've gotten eaten already. Waiting, waiting. Move, you big stupid shark. Oh man, shot too soon. Hate when that happens. I'm on my last guy. Still haven't gotten anywhere close to the Spanish Galleon. Oh. Shot in between them. Don't go between them, are you crazy? It's an obscure, minor Indiana Jones and Last Crusade reference. Let's try that again. Also, the music gets really annoying after a while. Once you shoot your harpoon, you have to sit there and wait for it to come back before you can move again. And then as soon as, you, as it does, your guy has already started floating down into the uh, shark below you. Again, while you have no control over your guy. Stupid game. I'm not going to have very many nice things to say about you when I get back. That's an Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom reference. I'm full of them today. Alright, we'll try this one more time. Gotcha. Man! And then the guy below you gets you. I don't... Ugh. Two more guys before this thing is mercifully over. Ha ha! Darn it. I seem to have gotten good at getting the yellow guy, but I can't get the other one. Oh, thank God, this game is over. Alright, back to the, uh, back to the, uh, fish shack for some scallops and lobster. Back to you in the studio. And sea shanties! I forgot about sea shanties. Alright, seriously, back to you in the studio. So here's the thing about Sea Hunt. I really want to like this game for all the reasons I said in the field report. It looks great, but the gameplay is just too frustrating. You can't move your guy until halfway down. You fire your harpoon and you can't move. It's just, it's perhaps not impossible to play, but it's off-putting enough that the good look of the game doesn't overcome it. This could have been really good. It's just not. If anybody disagrees with me or agrees with me, hit me up in the email or social media. But, as always, we're not so much concerned about the gameplay on this show as we are with figuring out what's really going on here. What's the story within the game? Well, I'll tell you. They say, the humans that is, that sunlight doesn't penetrate the ocean's surface beyond 200 meters in any significant way. But Bella? She knows differently. On a good day, she can feel the sun's warmth pushing through the frigid blackness and warming her tentacles, which are both ancient and youthful. Today, though, the light was different. Bella knew this light. Instead of life-giving warmth, this light, cutting now through the dark with pinpoint accuracy, meant loss, and possibly death. 
The human divers were coming again. Why did they want those old chests? All that was in them was a bunch of old game pieces from the Sea Monster Othello tournaments. That game was reviewed in Tari Bites episode 33. Bella's mother, Som, floated up to her. Scaly skin surrounded by deep-set eyes that pierced the gloom on par with the human's torches. They're coming again, she said. Bella nodded. Fools, Som muttered. Why, Mama? Bella said. The humans insist on defining everything by its economic value. They call her simple game pieces doubloons and pieces of seven. No. Ten. No. Eight, I think. Pieces of eight. They'll kill each other to get them. And us? Som nodded slowly, pulled Bella in with a clawed appendage. But we've beaten them before. We'll do it again. What was left of the sunken ship's mass toppled, crashing through the rotting deck. A bad omen, perhaps. Or, Som wondered, was it the key to a devilishly good idea? Come with me, Bella, Som said. We've got work to do. Before long, the divers arrived, having successfully dodged the man-eating fish, except for Carl, who was fooled by the sign that all the fish wore that said, Don't worry, it's cool. We're fish, not sharks. Bella and Som were waiting for them. Bella was nervous, but Som was calm as the usually dis- undisturbed sea floor. Another reason to resent these divers. We want the treasure, diver Michelle said. And to not be eaten, said Tim nervously. He shuddered as he thought of poor Carl, who Tim had it on good authority, was not all that tasty. We know, Som said. The treasure is there. We will not touch you. She gestured with a spiky tentacle to the hole in the ship's deck. A massive treasure chest sat on the edge. Michelle's greedy grin cut through her face mask. Tim, it's ours. Let's go, but don't take your eyes off these monsters. They needn't have worried. Bella and Som didn't move a tentacle. Michelle and Tim glided over to the treasure chest, the light from their flashlights accenting the filigree and ornate carvings on the lid. They floated there over that hole a moment, savoring their victory. In hindsight, such experienced divers should probably have been suspicious that not only was the chest lock open, it was missing altogether. For when Michelle lifted the lid, it tripped the wire that activated a trigger mechanism in the ship's hold, and a volley of harpoons from all the guns the monsters had collected over the years, from treasure-sinking divers, pincushioned the greedy humans, their lifeless forms drifting away to a future as chum in somebody's bucket. Bella was appalled. You let them be killed, she says. Some responded. Yes, and no. Bella's two faces twisted in confusion. So, they're alive? Sure. Soam said, well, no, they're dead right now, but only until the next time this all plays out again. You see, Soam swirled around in a flourish, soaring over the derelict ship's rigging. All of this is real, and none of it is real. There are no sea monsters, and yet here we are. Nobody exists, everyone exists. Nobody dies, everyone dies. It's just a cycle we all get used to. Bella nodded slowly. Adults are weird.
underwater research has brought me unusual assignments, but uh, one of the strangest was given me by marine land of the Pacific. It was a quiet morning, the sky was clear, untroubled, peaceful. Or so it seemed when I started down into the big fish tank. I'd taken on the force feeding of a blue shark that was refusing to swallow food. It's odd how these fish so ferocious in the ocean are timid in captivity. It was this job that brought me to exactly the right place at the right time to get the most demanding assignment of my life. An assignment that made every newspaper headline in the country. Hey Lloyd, a shark is a mammal, not a fish. No wonder your show got canceled. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod and Comptech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, which you know by now. But remember, whatever you do, dive down deep into the sunken iTunes ship, or Apple Music, whatever they're calling it now, and leave a review worth its weight in gold. Just don't get eaten by any sea monsters. You can also support, well, at least don't get eaten until after you leave your review. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page. It takes many, many doubloons to run a show like this. You can also pick up Atari Bytes merchandise, treasure, if you like, at the Zazzle.com store, where, among other things, there are fine, fine play, go play some old games they've missed you shirts, and mugs. Our website is ataribytes.lipson.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. You can like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And check us out on Instagram, too. Uh, every once in a while, there is some weirdness there that I hope you will enjoy. And don't forget to check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your animated Peanuts gang needs. Uh, want to know something about Snoopy? Want to revel in a great old TV special? Want to revisit some comic strips? We've got it all. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes, Laser Blast. Could there be a more generic title? We'll find out next week. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.